This is 77 WABC, and this is the Dick Morris Show, presented by the Patriot Gold Group. Clowns to the left of me, jokers to the right, here I am, stuck in the middle with you. Yes, so I'm here now joined by John Jordan. Hi, John. Hey, John. Hi, Hi Dick. Good. Good to be here with you. Uh, John is on the board of governors of, correct me, I don't have your bio in front of me, of the Hoover Institute, of the, I'm sorry, yep. yeah, fill, fill in the blanks for me. Yeah, I'm on the board of overseers at the Hoover Institute at Stanford, and I'm attorney, a Newsmax contributor, yeah. a former naval intelligence officer, and a winery owner. <laughs> yeah. Good wines, and, uh, too. And he's... He's fluent in, I think, seven languages or five or something like that. I have never tested him out in Chinese, but he <laughs> says he's fluent. <laughs> okay, so what we're going to talk about is the night the lights went out in Georgia. You know, that's exactly what the special prosecutor there has, uh, or the DA Willis, blood stains on her hands. Oh, God. So, um, John, how do you think that this is going to play out legally? Start with the Georgia case. <clears throat> well, the Georgia case is remarkable in the sense that there's 19 defendants. And Fannie Willis in her press conference said that she wanted to try them all together. This tells you a lot about <laughs> the quote-unquote legal mind of Fannie Willis because you can't have 19 defendants. I mean, she basically said she wanted to trot them all out at the same time, try them together. Like a drug and, gang. Yeah, well, yeah. well I, my, what came to mind, actually, was, you know, what are you going to trot them all out in a cage, Soviet style? Yeah. I mean, that's oh. what they did. Like a that's not how the system works. So she also said she wanted a speedy trial. Well, this, the right to a speedy trial constitutionally vests only in the defendant. She wanted an October trial date with 19 defendants. Well, you can't do that. Different defendants will, will move to sever their cases um, because there are oftentimes there are conflicts between them. And there's all kinds of uh, legal rules around that. And totally, trying, totally different yeah, fact patterns. Completely different fact patterns and law that applies to them differently. So that's not really possible. Uh, so those are there's going to be a whole bunch of legal wrangling and pretrial maneuvering right. to, 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 to sort all of that out. Now, what all these defendants have in common is that Fannie Willis says that they participated in a uh, RICO, corrupt conspiracy, uh, to try to defraud the voters and elect Donald Trump and reverse the results of the election. Now, well, yeah, two, two big issues. First of all is her wide, her, overreach, overarching expansion of Georgia's RICO statute. Even CNN had some concerns about that in an analysis piece that came out day before yesterday. Under her reading of the RICO statute, you could have people charged and convicted of crimes when they didn't understand there was a criminal conspiracy. Mm. Uh, under, 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 if, you, if, you take this, if you take this to its logical conclusion. So the, as a matter of law, it wouldn't surprise me at all if there, if this was that part, that application of the RICO statute was struck down yeah. uh, in and, a pretrial and we, motion. And as I've read, 
uh, Andrew McCarthy, who I love from National Review, a former U.S. attorney or assistant U.S. attorney, writes that to do a criminal conspiracy, there has to be a criminal aim that they were all part of. And the criminal aim that they would all be part of was to elect Donald Trump president. And there's no way that's a criminal act. And uh, that is the only thing that united them, that brought them together. And to allege that as a criminal conspiracy is a bit of a reach. Oh, it's more than a bit of a reach. It, it Actually, there's, it raises some serious constitutional issues as to whether or not you know, the law requires the Constitution, there's a whole significant case law that requires that defendants have notice of the law, that know what it is or should know what it is. In this case, this, under this reading of the RICO statute, uh, that is seriously in question and could and ought to be struck. This this, these counts ought to be stricken as a matter of law. And I think probably will be uh, by Georgia's appellate courts. Um, possibly before before trial. Yeah, well, that's my question on timing. Uh, we said in one of the other shows you were on that uh, a um, uh, so you can file an interlocutory appeal, which means before you get to the main verdict, which you can appeal, you you can appeal this issue. Uh, does this statute allow an interlocutory appeal on this issue? Yes, it does. Uh, you can under Georgia law, they can, they should be able to file an interlocutory appeal to the appellate court in Georgia, the 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 level of court above the trial court, but below the Georgia Supreme Court. That would be the first stop on yeah. this. Well, and it wouldn't be surprising at all if that is that is stricken from the indictment. And it would take months for them to file that appeal for the court to hear it and for the court to rule. Correct. <laughs> Yes, absolutely. The idea of an October trial date here is beyond fanciful. And while the court is considering it, the trial can't go forward. And there are other issues, you said, like severing the indictments. And as I understand it, Mark Meadows, the president's former chief of staff, wants the case against him at least and maybe the others to be removed to federal court. And then there will also be venue questions. Can you get a fair trial in Georgia? and questions about any gag order that might be imposed. By the yeah, time that, you put all that together, is there a remote chance that this case could be tried before the election? It might be able to be tried before the election. That's possible. Not in October. Yeah. So, oh, oh, I mean, it, it, What about it, in the spring? It, it's possible in the spring. Even the spring would be awful quick. Uh, it, it might. It's, it, before the election is possible, but uh, but not but not but not certainly the, in 2023. Yeah, I know about 23. But do you think the 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 court? You, first of all, would the Supreme Court play any role in this at all? Uh, probably not, Dick. Um, the, unless there's a serious federal question, and the only federal questions that I the, the issues that I can see that were, could, could be raised are the constitutionality of the uh, applicability of the RICO statute. That raises constitutional issues. For it to be removed to federal court, uh, it ha- there has to be a significant federal question yeah. involved. But there would be no standing for the Supreme Court to say, hey, look, we're in the middle of a presidential race. Do this after the race is over. Don't do it now. There's no law on that. What, there's no law on that specifically. The Supreme Court to grant a writ of certiorari. There's one of real two ways to do that. One is obviously it has to be come through the federal appellate courts, um, 
and then it has and then it has to present a novel or significant question. The other way is a direct application for certiorari with the Supreme Court, and the bar for that is much higher. Given Justice Roberts' um, reluctance to tackle political questions, for it is unlikely that that second route would happen, mm-hmm. and for it to go through the appellate courts, that would be that would take a significant amount of time. So that of the federal, if, if it is to be delayed beyond the election, if that were possible, it would have to be because of uh, of this of these, these issues wending their way through the federal system. It, and, and that's possible, but the, the very at the very soonest this could be dealt with. The, the trial date would be set with like late spring or early summer at the very soonest. Yeah. Now, then we get to the political question, which is my bailiwick. Uh, I did John McLaughlin and I did a poll last week where we asked people about the indictments and we lumped them together: the Georgia and the um, and the Smith indictment in Washington. And we said, first, do you think that how much of a role do you think politics played in this indictment? And uh, fifty and fifty one percent said it played a large role, and another nineteen percent said it played some role, and nineteen percent said it didn't play any role at all. So you have almost eighty percent that feel this indictment was in part political. And in all the stats I'm about to give you, when something gets over fifty a red light should go off in your head because once you get a number over 50 in this political environment, it's a big deal. In my poll, Trump is leading Biden by 47 to 43. So when 51% of the voters say this indictment is largely political, that's very important. 56% of them say that it represents a double standard because of the way they're handling the Biden scandals and Hunter Biden. And, 57% said that the Justice Department should stop focusing on Donald Trump and let the people decide who the next president ought to be. And that is the key word. Those are the key words. I spoke to Trump the day of his statement after the indictment, after the arrest, and urged him to say the issue here is leave it with the people. Don't take this election out of the hands of the people, which is the attempt that they're making in this court. Don't don't take it out of their hands. Keep it in the control of the people of the United States. And that position gets almost 60 percent support, which means that a majority, which means that a significant number of Biden voters believe that. And I think that's going to be very, very important. John, what about the federal case? The federal cases, uh, the two of them. Uh, let's start with the, the uh, records one. Uh, first of all, the issue here is whether or not the Presidential Records Act applies. And again, this will be this will be a big part of that case will be decided pre-trial. Whenever uh, I hear that, the, John, sorry to interrupt you. Whenever I hear about the records case, I sort of stop listening because to me, it's nothing worse than an overdue library book. There, there's a statute. That's how the American people will see it too. Yeah, there's a statute um, that says you have to return these documents. Okay. So maybe he broke the statute, but there's no allegation that he compromised the country or that he gave this material to any enemy or that it undermined national security. And absent that, what the hell is the big deal? There isn't one. And ultimately, this case will collapse when either the trial court, uh, Judge Cannon, or an appeals court decides that the Presidential Records Act applies, that a president can have, can have these records, classified or not. 
and whether declassified right. or not is not relevant to that. It's this a, is the Presidential Records Act, which supersedes the Espionage Act mm. of 1970. And what, PRA, does the record, what does the Presidential Records Act say about the this? The Presidential Records Act b- basically provides that a president can remove and can have whatever documents he really wants within some limits in, in his possession post-presidency. And it was passed after, and this is important, the Espionage Act of 1917. And so what you have here is the PRA is in conflict in, in, important, in, in important ways with the Espionage Act upon which Jack Smith is relying. Now, so the question is the courts have to, re- have to resolve the conflict of those two statutes. And one of the biggest precepts of, concept of statutory construction that courts follow, the rules that courts follow when resolving this, is recency. Since the Presidential Records Act is in conflict with the Espionage Act, and the Presidential Records Act was passed subsequently, yeah. courts give like, deference like to the Like 70 years later. Like yeah, yeah. Give, but exactly. But give deference to that because it presumes that Congress knew um, that it was in conflict with, with yeah. the uh, espionage, the previous act, in this case, the Espionage Act, and will say, hey, this was intended as an exception or a carve-out. What is Jack Smith's position on this? He hasn't, he hasn't, he hasn't articulated one. I why mean, does he say the, why does he say the Presidential Record Act doesn't apply? He doesn't really in his filings. Okay. Okay. He almost ignores it. Okay. Now, uh, we'll go to a brief, brief break. Can you hang with us, John? You bet. Okay. So when we come back, we're going to talk about the other federal case, the uh, case that alleges that Trump was trying to uh, change the results of an election. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Ohio, ready for some quick mental health facts? Let's go. Nearly 2 million Ohioans live with a mental health condition. In the U.S., more than 50% of people will be diagnosed with a mental illness in their lifetime. Depression is a leading cause of disability worldwide. So why are some of us still stigmatizing people living with a mental health condition when we know all of this? Let's listen to the facts and beat the stigma. Ohio, challenge what you know about mental health at beatthestigma.org. This is the Dick Morris Show with Doug DePiro and sponsored by the Patriot Gold Group. Stick around. This is the Dick Morris Show on 77 WABC. This is the Dick Morris Show presented by the Patriot Gold Group on 77 WABC. Clowns to the left of me, jokers to the right. Here I am stuck in the middle with you. We're here with John Jordan, uh, attorney par excellence, my go-to guy. When it comes to legal situations and pretty good at political situations too. John, what is the difference between the indictment Smith is bringing under federal law in Washington and the indictment that Fannie Wills brought under Georgia statute? Well, first of all, it's similar fact patterns, similar facts. The Georgia, the Georgia case 
basically deals with which the allegations there deal with, uh, among other things, the phone call between Trump and Raffensperger when he said supposedly, find me another eleven thousand, a few thousand votes. Uh, that, that, holding that aside, but it, the Georgia case deals specifically with that. The federal case deals with um, some very specious, um, uh, specious allegations with regard to everything from electors to attempting, attempting to deprive uh, disenfranchised voters. There are four counts in the federal case. Interestingly enough, Alan Dershowitz, who's no friend of President Trump, yeah. who's a renowned constitutional lawyer, penned an op-ed where he says everything that Trump did is the same things we were doing in 2000 when I represented Al Gore. Yeah. Everything from challenging challenging ballots, utilizing the appellate process. And even in 2004, when President Bush beat John Kerry, there was an attempt by congressional Democrats to throw out Ohio's votes altogether. Now, let's go to the electors slate issue. As I understand that, uh, the as the cases were working their way through state court uh, through the, and the state legislature, the uh, Trump people said, okay, you, Mr. Legislature, are in charge of choosing the electors, and you're going to choose Biden electors because you think Biden carried the state. We think Trump carried the state, and we would like you to select instead Trump electors, and here's a slate of the 20 electors in Ohio and the 25 or whatever in Pennsylvania. And the legislature considered that and then rejected that. Why are they bringing criminal charges against the people on that slate of electors? Damned if I know, <laughs> because it doesn't make any sense. There was in 1960, this happened with the Democrats in Hawaii. Uh, merely submitting and contest case. Basically what the Democrats are trying to do, and Jack Smith here, are trying to cont- is trying to criminalize contesting of an election. Yeah. And, and, and they're saying that in terms of the electors, that they are guilty of forgery and fraud in oh, trying to masquerade as electors. Yeah, well, no, they weren't. They, they, see, that's that's part of the and that's a legal that's a legal sufficiency problem that the Democrat Jack Smith's going to have to overcome. To allege fraud, you have to show that you intentionally were or forgery that you were passing something among other things. You were passing something off, pretending representing it was one thing when in fact it was something else, and doing so knowingly right. and doing so in writing. They weren't pretending or misrepresenting anything. They were saying, we think we won this. The Constitution specifically says that electors are chosen in a manner selected by the state legislature. The state legislature is the ultimate arbiter of federal elections. And they merely submitted them. They didn't pretend it was something it wasn't. They didn't lie. They didn't put signatures on there. that What what are the other counts in in the federal indictment? Well, the other the other one that's particularly that stood out was the um, was the depriving the uh, using an 1867 statute, um, which was intended, uh, you know, in, the, in Reconstruction to ensure that uh, you know black people or other people weren't disenfranchised. Well, here the Democrats tried to disenfranchise all of the voters in Ohio in 2004, and in this case they weren't trying to disenfranchise or throw out any votes whatsoever. What they were trying to do is ensure a, a, a fair count because they had questions about it. Again, no different <clears throat> from what Al Gore did yeah. and uh, but, uh, Dave but, Boys and Alan Dershowitz in 2000. In but 2000. apart from that, this is an attempt to criminalize the advocacy of those who said the election was rigged. 
of those who said they were. And and then you combine that with the Georgia indictments, with the people who did the grunt work, the legwork, who went through each of the records, interviewed the voters, interviewed the inspectors. They have been indicted for criminally interfering in the election process, even though they were simply fact-finding. You would have made a great lawyer, Dick. Um, you might be one. It might have been one in a previous life because you raised yeah. the other great constitutional issue. That and this would happen because Dick. I don't know if everybody knows this, but Dick's married to a very smart lawyer. Yeah. And Eileen has obviously taught you a lot along the way. There's another yeah. constitutional issue which is common to the Jack Smith second indictment and the Georgia ones, and that is an infringement upon the Sixth Amendment right to counsel. Our system is necessarily adversarial and. As central to our legal system is that people can conf- talk freely with their attorneys, and and that is not discoverable, and it's not and it's not criminal conduct. The one ex- there is an exception called the crime fraud exception, upon which Jack uh, Jack Smith and and, and Fannie Willis rely in, uh, to the to, to an outrageous degree, to the point where they're criminalizing. You are talking to your lawyer. Crime fraud and, exceptions, I understand, says that if you if you tell your lawyer, "I'm about to commit a crime, I'm about to murder somebody," uh, you have yeah. to tell the authorities, and that conversation is not privileged. Is not privileged. And they're claiming, and they're claiming what? Well, they're claiming that what they were, this was an enterprise, among other things, to break a series of laws, whether you know the Jack Smith federal statutes or the or the Georgia statutes. But but merely talking to your lawyer about contagion, but the idea is that you were en route to committing a crime, and right. and, and and there's an, and the case law on this is is kind of all over the place. Is, is but I suspect that if we were to go down this route, if the federal court system allows these indictments to stand on these facts, it will eviscerate attorney-client privilege. And, and upend our criminal justice system and cause untold harm to millions of Americans because it'll, it'll have a chilling effect on lawyers. Yep. People won't be able to get the, the representation right. of the Constitution, Constitution and you, says that they should get. You told me that this would have a particular effect on poor people. Walk us through that. Well, yeah, it's going to have a, a, a particularly chilling effect on, on, on people that seek the help, especially of public defenders who are government, who are paid by the government. Those are the first lawyers that are going to be chilled by this. So you have a lot of indigent people who need a government-paid lawyer who, because they're required, everybody's entitled to counsel. Um, but the right to counsel includes free and fair and open communications, and there's case law to this effect. Mm-hmm. So the, the, the first lawyers that are going to be chilled and affected by this are the ones that are on government payrolls to begin with. Yeah. Now, so this is going to walk harm us through, a lot of... Walk us through the timing issues on the federal case. Uh, the federal cases probably will, are going the, – the federal system, uh, <laughs> even with the so-called rocket docket in South Florida, is necessarily a little bit more is – more, is more cumbersome. You are going to have also an, a, a flurry of interlocutory appeals. What is the rocket so docket? It has to be resolved. So we're looking at any of these. I mean, what is the rocket docket, John? Pardon? What is the rocket Docket. Well, the rocket docket is a say it has no legal significance, but it is a it is a term of art used, especially in, in South Florida, where uh, cases tend to move pretty, pretty quickly. A docket is obviously the record is right. the roster of upcoming cases. Right. And so the, the saying is, is that if they move really fast, it's a rocket okay. docket. So go ahead. So so it, 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 it 
it's possible that some of these cases may have trial initial trial dates set for next summer. It's possible. But looking at the whole big picture here, Dick, of all four indictments, both legally and politically, the high point, the high watermark for prosecutors, especially in these public cases, is when they bring down the indictments. They talk about, you know, they, they and, make the allegations, and, the and they haven't yet been rebutted. Yeah, and they the haven't yet been attacked. Right. So they, they've had the high watermark both legally and in the court of public opinion. Now you're going to have, now the defense is going to be able to chip away at this. You're going to have a lot of these, a lot of these counts. In fact, some of these cases probably eviscerated yeah. as a matter of law. And the fact and that they're bringing so many of them means that they'll begin to be dismissed and that can have a cumulative effect. Yeah, politically we'll have a cumulative People start to see that these were struck down. Uh, you know, significantly and whittled down also in a drip, drip, drip fashion because it's all it's going to happen sequentially. It's not going to happen all at once because they're different cases in different jurisdictions. But the public is going to be exposed to a lot of opinion, written opinions that are probably going to be very scathing of the prosecution um, using terms like overreach, overbroad and unconstitutional. The American public is going to hear a lot of that in the coming weeks and months. As now, in terms of judicial bias, in Georgia, you have a judge who absolutely is right next to a card-carrying communist. She, uh, she was, uh, she represented the Black Panthers. She, uh, she did, she's got all kinds of stuff from the left on her record. Um, will she be the one that rules on all of these interlocutory Initially, issues? Yes. Initially, yes, the, a lot of these issues of law about sufficiency, um, some of the initial constitutional arguments, they have to be raised. They will be have to be raised at the trial court level first. And so she's going to hear them and her ruling, as you suggest, her rulings are going to be predictable. But then they wind up and then it becomes harder for her. And then it becomes harder for the Democrats because then it goes in the Georgia case to the intermediate uh, Georgia appellate courts. Right. And that is a different animal. And that is where they solely look at the law. Well, and those are not. How, how soon will that happen? Uh, those appeals will prob- are probably being drafted and written now. I mean, those, yeah. those, well, first of all, the, the, it'll be the motions before the trial court are being drafted now and yeah. will be filed forthwith. Once she denies them, then there are, there's all, there's rules and gate, time gates and such. For it to be appealed to the intermediate, but Georgia it still be within court. the election window. At this point, yeah, it depends. Yeah. It, okay. it could still it could still be within the election window. So let's back up here and just put together what we have politically. You have an indictment here that close to sixty percent of the country thinks is politically motivated, and fifty five percent think it's double a double standard, and fifty six percent feel that the DOJ should get on with the election and get out of the way and stop telling the voters who the president should be. And in that environment, you have this records case uh, that really doesn't involve anything of consequence. It's a narrow statutory violation. You have the uh, Fannie, uh, the, the, the stripper case, where he basically Stormy. Just said, Stormy, where he said a payoff was a campaign expense, not a business expense, mm-hmm. or vice versa. That doesn't matter much. Then you have the Georgia case with the sprawling indictment, and you have the federal case with this indictment. And both of those cases will some of one of those cases might go to trial before the election, but there'll probably be a lot of appeals and procedural decisions that will shape it. 
And at the same time, there's this massive attitude by the public of distrust of it and, frankly, of commitment to Trump. It's notable that at what you aptly characterize as the prosecution's high point, high point, Trump gained two points against Biden, going from two ahead to four ahead. And there's one poll, Ipsos, that's reliable that says he's six ahead. And uh, that would not indicate well for the future of this prosecution. No, it won't. This is going to age like sushi left out in this. Uh, left out in this <laughs> Good. They've had well, their high watermark. They've had their mugshot. They've had their allegations, the unsealing of the indictments, which is basically allegations unchallenged. Yep. Now they're going to be challenged. It's going to be. It's going to be chipped away at drip, drip, drip. Yep. So that's, that's and, with the high watermark. So here's the here's. I'm going to make a little news here for you, Dick, and throw you a little curveball here. I think that you're absolutely right that the, these these poll numbers are going to represent a dam breaking pretty soon. And the Biden administration is going to be in a fix. And I think what they're going to do is the Justice Department is going to try to cut some sort of deal with Trump where, you know, at home confinement or maybe you don't run, they're going to try to get out of this gracefully. Uh, He ain't going to bite. He's not going to go near that. No, I know. I didn't say he should or I didn't say he should. I I just want to make sure that I think that they are going to try that because they're going to want a way out. Yeah. Thank you, John. Well, thank you, John. This was great. It was very enlightening, and I'll use it a lot. Thank you. This was an honor, Dick Morris and John Jordan. If you own a vehicle with less than 200,000 miles and have an auto warranty about to expire or no warranty coverage at all, listen up. CarShield has a low-cost, month-to-month vehicle protection plan that covers more parts than ever. Visit carshield.com slash audio to find out how you could pay almost nothing for covered auto repairs. Drivers who activate this vehicle protection today will also receive free roadside assistance, free towing, and car rental options at no additional cost. Get your free quote today at carshield.com slash audio. That's carshield.com slash audio.